Good evening, everyone. It's just about... Good evening, Rabbi Simon. I hope your Hanukkah has gotten off to a good start. Yes, I hope yours as well. Baruch Hashem, thank you. Despite the wind and the rain and all of that, and the darkness, but that's all part of the Hanukkah experience. In fact, you know, we have um, children in South Africa and in Australia, and there, of course, it's summertime, and Hanukkah in the summertime just doesn't seem to be the right kind of rhythm for it. But I guess that's because I've lived all my life in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, but uh, anyway, Hanukkah is upon us. So let's take a look at our subject matter. I'm delighted to say that uh, Subsover has some really fascinating uh, um, thoughts that I have enjoyed uh, selecting. And uh, so let's get to it. So the parsha begins Vayeshev Yaakov Be'eretz Megurei Aviv Be'eretz Kenan. Vayeshev means he settled, he dwelled. Now, the um, nuance here is that the Torah says Yaakov settled in the place where his father or his uh, fathers uh, were sojourners. Now, what's the difference between, between uh, Leshev and Lagur? Leshev doesn't just mean to sit, it means to settle. Lagur means to dwell or to sojourn from the word ger. A ger is a, um, an alien, uh, someone who comes from afar, and he may have the means or the sort of privileges of settling in a place temporarily, but he hasn't acquired the status of like a citizen or someone who has the expectation that he can remain there uh, permanently for the rest of his days. So when the Torah says Vayeshev Yaakov and contrasts it with Eretz Mugurei Aviv, Rashi is prompted to say, and a famous comment, quite well known, Bikesh Yaakov Leshev Bashalva, that Yaakov sought to settle in comfort, in tranquility. Just find the comment of Rashi, because he says a few things here, but his famous comment is Leshev Bashalva. I'm missing. <clears throat> I don't know. Can't find it here. Don't know why. Anyway, it says Bikesh Yaakov Beshalva that Yaakov sought to to settle down, but it didn't last. Lodaya, the manager says, is it not enough for the tzaddikim that they are going to enjoy bliss and tranquility in the next world? They want to be comfortable in this world as well. And as a result, Kafatzalav Rogzo Shel Yosef, the uh, like um, agitation of Yosef. Uh, uh, Rogez is anger, but it means like to quake with, with anger. If a person is infuriated, he's shaking with anger. So Rogzo Shel Yosef, in other words, Yosef's uh, experiences rocked the world of Yaakov. And this is a kind of rebuke to Bikesh Leshev Vashalva. He wanted to settle in comfort and it didn't work out for him at all. So Ksav, many comment on this, and Ksav Sofer asks a few questions. He says, firstly, uh, why does the, the Torah imply, the Medrash imply, that Yaakov was guilty of some wrongdoing? What is his wrongdoing? He wants to settle in peace. Is there something inherently wrong with that? Does settling in peace somehow suggest a diminution in, in his avodos Hashem? Does it suggest that he is somehow uh, like um, shirking some responsibilities because he wants to live in comfort? He says, We know that some tzaddikim were people of means, people of affluence, people who were respected and they had it's a, a, a life without trauma and without the travail of poverty or other very difficult trials. And anyway, Yaakov already had plenty of trials along the way. So now he's finally returned to the land of Canaan. Let him settle down. What's wrong with that aspiration? The first question. Then he says, what's the Mida connected Mida of Rogzo Shel Yosef? How do we understand that the Torah says that, according to the Mendrish, that the, like, uh, um, consequence or the rebuke 
to Yaakov or the thwarting of his aspirations to dwell in comfort came about through Rogzel Shel Yosef. It's like Yaakov wanted peace and he got agitation. But what's the Mida Kenegin Mida? What's the, the reciprocity of it, so to speak? And then he asks, uh, besides all of that, he says it's very problematic, very difficult for us to accept that Yaakov, who was so righteous, he used the Bechir Sheba Avos, the most uh, um, praiseworthy or the most choicest of the patriarchs, Abraham and Yitzchak, like each one had a quality, a, a fine, outstanding quality, chesed, and then gvura, which complemented one another. And Yaakov was the synthesis of the two. He was the balance. He was, so to speak, he had he had it all. If he was so righteous, then is it really um, like fair for the Medrash? Why did the sages suggest that he sought a good life, he wanted comforts, you know, he wanted to live it up, he wanted to live the good life, like a person who was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, a person who is an heir to a great fortune, and he wants to live it up, and, you know, some people uh, perhaps succeed in that. A lot of people who try that path, you know, it ends in grief anyway, because of, of problems they bring upon themselves, but is it right to even suggest that this was the uh, like quest, this was the aspiration of Yaakov Bikesh Sheba Shalba? So Ksav Surfer says as follows. He has an interesting approach. He says, Tzadikim dogim, the Tzadikim are worried about the effect of wrongdoing, the effect of their own chatoim. <clears throat> Excuse me, even with regard to a promise that Hashem uh, gave to Yaakov that Hashem will accompany him, he'll he'll stand by his side, he'll bring him back to his uh, homeland. And we find that Yaakov was very afraid of Esav. And what about the promise of Hashem? Why doesn't Yaakov have bitachon? So the answer is, Rashi mentions it, Shema Yigrom Hached. Maybe his own transgressions have undermined the divine assurance. Hashem promises something, but a promise is always Yaakov the faith. If Yaakov keeps stays with the program, but Yaakov in his own mind was concerned, maybe I've fallen short. Maybe I'm not deserving. I'm not worthy of the divine assurance anymore. Besides which, Yaakov uh, uh, had... A, so that, that's one consideration, that someone who is a tzaddik always has that concern, he doesn't feel a sense of total confidence, even in his, even in his share in Olam Haba. So that's why the Medrash says, Yaakov sought to live it up in this world, or to be comfortable in this world, and Hashem said, it's not enough for tzaddikim that they get a reward in the next world, they want reward in this world as well. So says Ksav Sofra, a tzaddik is never so confident even of his reward in the next world. He always thinks, maybe I've fallen short of my responsibility. Maybe the assurance that every Jew has of his portion in the world to come, perhaps I've squandered it, perhaps more is expected of me and I've fallen short of my responsibilities. Says Ksav Sofra, an interesting medrash. Yaakov said in Lavan Garti, which as we know Rashi mentioned it in the beginning of last week's parsha, Vitayag Mitzvah Shamarti says the Medrash that Yaakov sort of um, uh, uh, presented his credentials to Asaph. He introduced himself to his long lost brother Asaph by saying, I lived with Lavan and I still kept Haryag Mitzvah. So Yaakov thought to himself, when I lived with Lavan, I kept Haryag Mitzvahs, meaning I was not corrupted by Lavan and the, the influence there, even I was very far from home. But I kept with the program, as we like to say. If that's the case, all the more so now that I've come back to my homeland, I will surely be uh, uh, faithful to the to the principles of the Torah. So says Ksav Sofer, Im Lavan, uh, I'm sorry, the Medrash says, he quotes the Medrash, which says, I told you the word uh, comes from the word lagur, which is to sojourn. It's related to the word ger, which means an alien, but it also means, as we know, a proselyte, a ger tzedek or ger toshab. Says the Medrash, that Yitzchak, 
the father of Yaakov was engaged in giur. He brought people close to the Shina. He, so to speak, converted them, not exactly to Judaism, which did not exist as we know it um, today, but he brought them under the Tachas Kanfei Shina. He, like, uh, um, inspired and he attracted followers. And of course, in that regard, Yitzchak, although this is not explicit in the Torah, but the Medrash says, Aviv, that Yitzchak did what his father did. And that is explicit or nearly explicit in the Torah, that Avraham was an outreach personality. So the Medrash says that Yitzchak was as well. And Yaakov th- thought to himself, I'm going to do the same because, you know, it's in the blood. It's a family business. So I'm going to also do my very best to be a good example, to inspire others, outreach and chesed and all of those important programs. And it says, Hamazakes harabim ein chet val yado. One who brings merit to the community will not come to sin. So Yaakov thought that if I kept mitzvahs even in Lavan's uh, company, so surely I'm going to do it here in the land of Canaan. And Eretz Mugore Aviv, I'm going to also undertake the same program of uh, outreach. And by so doing, so Yaakov thought, I don't want to say I've got it made, but Yaakov felt he had valid grounds to expect that his comfort in this world derives from the fact that he anticipates Olam Haba. And that is the Chiddush of Ksav Sofer. When the when it says that Yaakov sought to dwell in comfort in this world, it didn't mean that he wanted to live it up and spend his vacations in Club Med and other types of, of uh, entertaining and uh, pleasurable activities. Not at all. Bikesh Yaakov Leishev Bashava. Why was he going to be tranquil in this world? Because he is confident of his place in the world to come. Since he's confident of his place in Olam Haba, so he'll be happy in this world because whatever happens to him, even if he in, encounters misfortune, but this is just a temporary uh, interval. It's just a prelude to Olam Haba. That's what Yaakov was thinking, and he thought it's legitimate for the reasons that we explained. He's got a program in mind. He has a, a strategy. He's going to do lots of mitzvahs. He's going to get lots of merit. He'll get into Olam Haba. Says the Medrash, that is not the path of tzaddikim. A tzaddik should not seek that level of uh, confidence, even vis-a-vis Olam Haba. In other words, the comfort and the confidence and the tranquility that he seeks in this world, even if it's just because he now can be uh, look forward to Olam Haba, even that is not right. Don't be so confident, as we said. So Rashi says later on um, that Yaakov was inconsolable. It's at the end of this parak, actually. Uh, the end of Perak Lamed Zayin, if you want to take a look, in Pasuk Lamed Hey. So it's chapter 37, verse 35. If you've got the stone, Chumash is on page 206. And take a look at Rashi, if you have access to it. Rashi there says that everybody tried to comfort him and they were not successful. Yaakov, having sustained the loss of his son Yosef, was inconsolate. Why? Because, says Rashi, Yaakov had a tradition. He had like a Masoro, or maybe he was, it was revealed to him, a simon, a, an indicator, that as long as he, Yaakov, did not experience the death of any of his children in his lifetime, as long as he did not suffer the anguish of having his child predeceased him, then he was assured of his place in Olam Haba. That was his, like, formula. So Yaakov, when he uh, suffered the loss of Yosef, albeit only temporarily, and the the, uh, presumption of death turned out to be erroneous, but when Yaakov's world was, like I said before, rocked by the trouble of Yosef and the disappearance of Yosef, and he was grieving so uh, uh, um, 
profoundly. And he said, I will descend with my son to the grave, meaning to the depths, because I'm now no longer assured even of my portion in the world to come because I've suffered the death of one of my children in my lifetime. And even that assurance is gone. Says Iksaf Sofer, now we can understand, Rugzo shall Yosef, because the trouble, the agitation of Yosef, meaning the... Um, the family tensions and then the supposed death of Yosef, that meant that Yaakov's confidence in his portion in the world to come had been undermined. And that is the meaning of Bikesh Yaakov Leshe Bashalva. He thought he could dwell in comfort in this world. He would be in comfort because he's assured he's confident of his place in the next world. Says the, the Medrash that Chazal is saying about Yaakov, it doesn't work that way. It's not right, even for a tzaddik, to have that kind of confidence, that overweening self-belief and self-confidence that he's going to be assured of his place in Olam Haba. On the contrary, a tzaddik is always a bit anxious, a bit uncertain, a bit uh, uh, recognizes the need to exert himself always to the full. Okay, let's go on and learn a bit more about the troubles of Yosef. The Torah says, uh, near the beginning, really, of this same uh, passage, that Yosef was the favorite son. And let's just actually begin with Pasuk uh, base, Pasuk Gimel, actually, Pasuk Gimel. V'Yisrael ahavis Yosef mikol banav, he loved Yosef more than all of his other sons. Because he is his son of his old age. Or some say maybe that he was the wisest son. But uh, whatever the basis for it was, he loved him especially. And he made for him a, a garment of many colors. And perhaps a, here it's rendered a um, fine woolen tunic. He gave him a garment which was a symbol of his special relationship. Take a look at the next pasuk, pasuk Dalit, top of page 200, if you're with me in the stone chumish. His brothers saw that Yosef was more beloved by their father than all, than the rest of his brothers. And they hated him. They could not speak to him peacefully. Now, that's how it's rendered here in the art school. They could not speak to him peaceably. But the Torah doesn't say explicitly that they could not speak to him peaceably. Take a look at Rashi. Rashi says, V'lo dabro lishalom. Dabro, says Rashi, lidaber imo. Dabro means literally his speech. Like diburo, dabro. It doesn't say explicitly to speak to him. That's how Rashi has to add it on. Lidaber imo. They couldn't speak to him peaceably. But uh, this comment or this this observation, excuse me, is reminiscent of my friend from two years ago, Ksav the Kabbalah, because uh, says the Ksav Sofra, if Rashi has to add in the word Dabro, the uh, Daber Imo, it means that the words that they the, the of the Torah itself perhaps are subject to another interpretation, meaning to to. Uh, Rashi feels in order to explain in a straightforward manner the meaning, you've got to add that word Daber Imo. Ksav uh, Sofer has an approach, though, as we shall see right now, which maybe doesn't require adding in the word Dabro, meaning Daber Imo. They couldn't speak to him peaceably. He asks as well that uh, it's difficult to accept that the brothers hated Yosef because of uh, just because of jealousy i mean perhaps a, a a twinge of jealousy a kind of um like impulse a jealous thought is inescapable but to say that the brothers hated him because of jealousy it's difficult to attribute to righteous people such a response just because of jealousy, just because they saw that their father loved him more. So they're going to feel not only jealous, but to the point they're going to hate him. If the father loved him, then perhaps they should at least consider maybe there's some reason, maybe there's some particular or maybe a set of qualities that this 
young man has, our brother, that caused our father to love him so much. To say they hate him because the brother, because their father loved him, it, it seems pretty like a crass behavior for righteous people. Moreover, it would seem that the Diba Samra, which the Torah mentions here, uh, actually, it's already in the, the, the very second Pasuk, which let's take a look at it. Ela told us, going back to, to the previous page, Ela told us, Yaakov, he would um, assist his brothers in shepherding the flock. He maligned his brothers to his father, to their father. He brought there like a, a disparaging report, evil reports, the art school people render it, to their father. So what was the content of the evil report? The Torah doesn't say explicitly, but it hints, because it says that he was a companion of the son's of the of the maid servants, Yaakov had uh, a favorite wife, Rachel. But of course, as we know, he married Leah first. Leah produced many children, six sons for him and a daughter as well. Rachel eventually produced two sons, but along the way, the two concubines, the two maid servants, became concubines of Yaakov as well. And therefore, Yaakov, as is very well known, had twelve sons two each from the two maidservants. So these four brothers, half-brothers, whose mothers were not selected wives, chosen wives, but they kind of came to Yaakov uh, on, on the rebound uh, as concubines. So they were regarded, they could be regarded as kind of second-rate. Says the Rashi, well-known uh, Medrash, the Dibasam Ra'a was that Yaakov I'm sorry, that Yosef was befriending them and telling their father that the other brothers, especially that would be the brother, the sons of Leah, are maligning these four. And they're saying, you guys are second rate. Your mothers were concubines or uh, or maidservants. So it's like you guys are, are uh, uh, slaves. You're not really brothers of ours. Of course, very hurtful, very wrong, if that really was the case. Um, and that's why, and, and that's what Yosef, uh, Yosef was denouncing the brothers with regard to this criticism. If that is the case, or let's put it this way. If the brothers were innocent of that, and it was just a false claim, it was slander, we can certainly understand why the brothers would be highly resentful of that. Well, that could even explain why they might hate him. I'm not saying it necessarily justifies it. We can certainly understand that. And it's, in any case, much more chamor, much more severe than the fact that their father favored Yosef. Again, the Torah says that because the father loved Yosef more than the, the other brothers, therefore they hated him. And we're asking, it doesn't seem right that they should hate him just because of that, just because of a twinge of jealousy. Moreover, it makes a lot more sense that they would hate him because what the Torah says explicitly, Dibasam Ra'el Avihem. So let me tell you what the Ksav Sofer says, a very clever idea, very insightful idea. They were, uh, uh, and he, he adds, okay, he says that uh, Yosef presented himself as if he is one who stands up for the persecuted. He is the ally of the underdog. And he feels that family solidarity needs to be advanced rather than diminished. We're all brothers. We're all one family. And therefore, it's wrong to, like... Uh, talk down some members of the family because of their parentage, exactly because of their mother, as, as we've seen. So he emerges as someone who is opposed to Machlokes. Now, the brothers, even if they weren't happy with the way that they were being uh, maybe misrepresented to their father, but at least they can respect someone who stands up for peace. He's Ohev Shalom. And he's 
unable to restrain himself when he sees uh, behavior or speech which is uh, like creating a schism within the family. So therefore, in order to maybe persuade Yaakov or motivate Yaakov, their father, to intervene, that's why he spoke to them. That's why he spoke to their father about, about this behavior. And says the Ksavsof, right, quoting the Al-Sheikh. Al-Sheikh is my friend from last year. I'm sure you remember. So uh, he says that the Al-Sheikh explains when the Torah says, Vuhuna, uh, I'm sorry, it doesn't just mean he was a shepherd with his brother for the flock. It means he was a leader. Ro'e is like Moshe is a shepherd, a shepherd of the Jewish people. Uh, you know, a rabbi might be described metaphorically as a shepherd who looks after his flock, his congregation, or his students, or his chassidim, or something like that. So Al-Sheikh says, when the Torah says, it means he was like taking a leading position, a leadership role. Now, again, we can understand the brothers might say, you're the youngest, you know, who, who appointed you to be the leader. But Ksav says like this, that he was a leader. He was trying to uh, maybe direct or influence or inspire or maybe rebuke the brothers regarding the what we can learn from the tzon. What can we learn from a sheep, from a, a flock of sheep? Solidarity. They get together. They work together. I don't know if sheep work, actually. They mostly graze. But they are usually found in close proximity to, to one another. That's the nature of, of sheep. Moreover, a sheep that gets lost a lost sheep is hard to get it back into the group, you know. The Jewish people are called Set Puzura Yisrael. The Jewish people are likened to a lone sheep. The expression lone sheep is someone who is like distanced himself from the crowd because sheep generally going in a flock, they're close together. They flock together, even the word flock implies close physical proximity to one another. And that is the nature of sheep, says the Ksav Sofer. Yosef was trying to lead them in the way of sheep, meaning to encourage them and to advise them, to inspire them, to say, we have to have solidarity. We have to have, we've got to stick together. We need to have family unity in the way of, of sheep. And uh, that is his, uh, th that was, let's say, uh, an important part of his message and his, of his influence. The problem is, that all of that is fine as long as Yosef himself doesn't just talk the talk, but he walks the walk. If Yosef is indeed standing up for solidarity, and when he sees the other brothers, the sons of Leah, who are distancing or alienating or demeaning the sons of the maidservants, then he can speak up to their father and say, look, we need solidarity. We need, we're all the same. We need to be the same, not to malign one another and distance some and push them away. The problem is that when Yosef himself was now uh, singled out by Yaakov for special treatment, when it was evident that Yaakov loved Yosef more than the others and Yosef didn't seem to... Uh, like flee from that role or from that privilege. On the contrary, he was wearing that special garment that his father gave to him. And not only that, but a short while later, we're going to hear about the dreams and he was quite happy to talk about the dreams and his delusions of grandeur. So all of that made the brothers resent him and that's why they hated him because they could interpret his uh, reporting to their father about them maligning the other brothers, they could attribute it to Yosef's uh, drive for solidarity, to be like sheep who aren't all together, close together. But once Yosef's own behavior gave the lie to that approach, then lo dabro lishalom, they could not ascribe pursuit of peace to Yosef anymore. 
That's how Ksav Sofer explains it in a beautiful uh, uh, insight. He says, you don't have to say like Rashi, that it means they couldn't speak with him peacefully. They could not speak, they could not ascribe to him the pursuit of peace. As long as it was possible to judge him, to judge him favorably, that he was rebuking and he was reporting to their father about how they were maybe maligning or not getting along with the other brothers. They can interpret it because he's the man of peace and he stands up for the underdog. But when Yosef himself enjoys the trappings of favoritism, so they could no longer ascribe peaceful motives to him, and therefore they hated him because of the fact that their father loved him because it undermined his uh, claim to be speaking only on behalf of family unity and all of that. Time is just about up, so I don't think we have time for what I was going to end with. Uh, so we'll, we'll just leave it at that. So we have seen two insights uh, uh, this evening uh, from Ksav uh, Sofer, that Bikesh Yaakov, they shave uh, um, Beshalva, and he wanted to live in comfort in this world. The comfort he sought in this world was only due to the confidence that he had in Olam Haba. And he thought he does have grounds to be confident because if he kept Tariag Mitzvah in with Lavan, he can certainly do it here in Canaan. And he's going to engage in Zikui Harabim, helping the public and other people, and then Ein Chet Baal Al Yado. So uh, this is the, uh, that's what he wanted. But even that is not right for a tzaddik. A tzaddik should never have that confidence. You never say, well, I'm adhering to the formula in the Shulchan Aruch, so I've got it made. Um, um, it's not so. And that therefore, Yosef, and then we spoke about how Yosef kind of presented himself as the man of peace, but his claim to be only interested in solidarity and we're all the same, we shouldn't like rank one another in superior, inferior, that was undermined when Yosef himself enjoyed the position of uh, elevation through the special affection uh, of his father. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll leave it at that. Uh, it has been suggested those who would like to stay for a few more minutes. I can tell you the other thing I was going to say as well. So perhaps we'll leave that as an option if anyone would like to stay just for a few more minutes. Uh, he says another very beautiful idea. Yes, please. Yeah, okay. Yes, please. Thank you. Thank you very much for the vote of confidence. We'll be brief. So Yosef ultimately is sold to Mitzrayim, as we know, and the Torah mentions an interesting uh, nuance, which, as I often say, uh, had escaped my attention until it was uh, uh, highlighted by my friend for the year, in this case, Ksav Sofra. So it says in uh, chapter 39, Pasuk Al, uh, Pasuk Al, page 212. So it's chapter 39, verse 1. And he was purchased by a certain um, uh, courtier of Pharaoh from the Yishmaelim, and he changed hands a few times, but ultimately it was the Yishmaelim who sold him on. Now look at Pasuk base. Here's the interesting thing which I had not known as previously. Vayhi Hashem as Yosef, Behold, God was with Joseph. And behold, he became a man of success. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Safsofer makes two astute observations. The word Vayhi appears three times. It's a short verse and it says Vayhi three times. We could understand it as like... Drawing attention to it, wasn't it remarkable that God was with Joseph? Wasn't it remarkable how successful he was? What, wasn't it remarkable that now he's uh, living in the household of this Egyptian uh, courtier, as I said? It's remarkable because we began this parsha with Yosef and his father was so beloved. We saw how he was nearly put to death by his brothers. Then he was sold into slavery. Now he ends up in Egypt. 
But it's very at the very superficial. And even if that is the case, it doesn't have to say by he three times. Besides which, yes, another question, which is a bit more subtle, but very important. I mean, very compelling, I think. Why does it have to say he was in the home of his Egyptian master? We know he was there. The, the Torah doesn't have to say that. It just said he was bought by, by Potiphar. There's no need to even add that he was in. What's the Torah adding by saying? And he was in the house of the Egyptian master who bought him. That's the lot of the slave, and nothing different should have been expected. Says Xav Sofer, a very interesting thing. Of course, there's a whole story, as we know very well, was part of the divine plan for the fulfillment of the prophecy that was given to Avraham Avinu years and years before in the brief span of Asarim, that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land, they'll be oppressed, etc. How would was Yaakov and family, how were they going to come down to Mitzrayim? Of course, we know this is how it came about. It was all part of the divine plan. Now, if Yosef was so successful, if he was a Ishmatzliach, whatever he touched, he's got the Midas touch. Whatever he turns his attention to flourishes. He's got the skill. He's got the blessing. Maybe he's got the charisma. He has the insight. He's got the savvy. He's got the wisdom. He's got the people's interpersonal skills. And therefore, whatever he turns his, his attention to, he prospers and he succeeds, it flourishes. That, says Ksav Sofra, only began in the home of his master in Egypt. It didn't happen previously. It may have happened a bit in his father's house. That's why his father perhaps realized his great talent. But the point is, says Ksav Sofra, that Yishma Aden didn't realize it. If Yosef had shown that talent, if Yosef's every endeavor had been blessed with remarkable success, if he had been Ishmat Sliach previously, the Yishmaeli never would have sold him on. They only offloaded him in Egypt because he was a slave. They bought him for whatever it was. It wasn't very costly. They sold him on for whatever profit margin they could achieve. And that was that. If Yosef had demonstrated that extreme knack for success, if Hashem had blessed Yosef with the success that he would have in Mitzrayim, if he had it right away, the Ishmael, they never would have sold him out. They would have kept him. And he never would have gotten to Mitzrayim. And the whole divine plan could not have unfolded. That's why the Torah says, Vayihi, Vayihi, Vayihi. These things were all waiting to happen, waiting for the right moment, for the right stage in his life. And the reason that I find this uh, little uh, uh, insight so fascinating is because of the legend, which actually has a historical truth behind it of the four captives. I hope you've heard of the Arba Shuiin. If not, let me be the first to tell you. I'll do it briefly. There was a uh, a, a book called Sefer Hakab uh, Sef, Seder Hakabalah or Sef, Sefer Hakabalah, written by Avraham Ibn Daoud. He uh, was. Uh, uh, a Jewish um, historian, if you like. Uh, he lived uh, in the 11th century in Spain. And he writes in that book, Sefer HaKabbalah, about four captives who were trained, Chachamim, trained in Bavel, in the academy in Sura. And they set sail from Bari in the boot of Italy in order to raise money for the academies in Bavel. And their ship was taken uh, captive by a pirate called Ibn Rumachis. And he uh, uh, captured all of the, the passengers, etc. And he was going to sell them into slavery, which he did in four different places, in North Africa and in, in Europe. In Cordoba, he rocked up with one of his captives, whose name was Moshe ben Chanoch. Moshe ben Chanoch was ransomed by the Jewish community in Cordoba, and he became the Shamis in the base medrash in Cordoba. And he was dressed like in, in rags, as uh, I'm sure Shamashim were not paid very well. He was just a freed captive. What did he have in life? He actually had a son in life as well, but didn't have his wife. His wife, there's a story behind that as well. The point is that he was listening to the shiur 
And the one who was giving the shiur was asked certain questions and he wasn't sure how to answer. Moshe ben Chanoch raised his hand at the back of the room and he explained brilliantly all of the uncertainties. And he spoke in, a, in an eloquent and sophisticated rabbinic Aramaic. And they realized that uh, this man is not just a simple uh, shamas, he's a great Tamachacham. And the Rav, who's called Rav Nassan, said, I'm not the rabbi anymore. This man in the back, he's the, the, the new rabbi around here. And so he was. He was a very outstanding Tamachacham. But here's how it's relevant to our uh, uh, comment of Ksav Sofra. Because the uh, uh, pirate who captured him, this Muhammad ibn Rumachis, who is a historical figure, uh, we know quite a lot about him, actually. He wanted to cancel the sale because he said, I've sold him for the price of a common slave. And now I realize he's a sophisticated scholar. He's going to be the chief rabbi of all the Jews in Cordoba. I've been uh, deceived. I want him back and I'm going to sell him for a lot. I can get a lot more money for him. So without going into more further details, he was unsuccessful in that regard. And Moshe ben Chanoch became the Rav, one of the great early Torah personalities in Sfarad. To me, this explanation of Ksav Sofer is highly reminiscent of the story of Moshe ben Chanoch in Cordoba, where the pirate didn't realize the special qualities of this a captive, and therefore he just sold him for the price of a slave, and in a similar way, Ksav Sofer says, that Yosef was sold to in Egypt because nobody knew he was anything special. And it was only in based on that he became successful, and of course that is central to the story as it unfolds, his popularity, his charisma, the fact that he attracted the unwelcome attention of his mistress and everything that follows. This is what Ksav Sofer says. It's a little bit of a Hanukkah bonus, maybe unintended for another 10 minutes this evening. Thank you to everyone. I wish you a wonderful Shabbos. Thank you so much. Brilliant share, Rabbi Simon. Thank you, Thank Thank you Rabbi Simon. Can I just ask you one very, very quick, quick, sure. quick thing? Yeah. I was really, I love the explanation about the brothers. I really felt that it's always been troubling me that they should could be so aggressive and cruel to their yeah. brother. But I don't feel that Joseph had much tact. I can't believe I'm saying that. But yeah. <laughs> do you hear me? Yeah, I, I do. I do. It's interesting. I said, you know, just two minutes ago that he had charisma, he had people skills. Yeah. Maybe he picked them up, you know, because you're quite right. At the age of 17, as the parsha begins, it seems that he was tactless and he perhaps uh, in, a, in a clumsy manner, you know, aroused his brother's jealousy and even almost uh, exacerbated it by telling about yeah. his dreams. Yeah, it, it is true. Um, uh, I, I mean, for such a clever fellow. Yeah, you're right. Uh, maybe <laughs> maybe the comment of uh, Ksav Sofer, though he was saying it specifically in the, in the context of when Yosef was a captive, was you know, purchased by the Ishmaelim. But maybe that observation is true earlier as well. Maybe his father saw the great talent in Yosef, but perhaps Yosef himself was not fully mature at that age, you know, and he maybe was not okay. able to realize to read the 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 body language of his brothers to realize how resentful of him they, they really were. I mean, it's a bit lame, that explanation, but perhaps he, you know, uh, learned his lesson uh, in, a, in, a, in a big way, but perhaps initially he, he was, you know, not, not as, as uh, sensitive